Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. I hope you're enjoying this free podcast novel. If you want to support us, there are a couple of ways you can do that. The entire Ruins of Empire series is available as an ebook or a paperback. You can buy them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and you can always leave us a review. It helps more people find this and gives producer Sean a little thrill, because without you all listening, well, he's just a sad man listening to me read a book out loud. Listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, Book Two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 26. In one of the last times we hear from the Lady of Fire directly, she sounds nothing like the woman we heard inspiring her people during the American War. She was 64 at that point, but her voice sounded like she had aged twice that. And yet, there is something kind and hopeful in her words when she talks to her people. Come to Brasilia. Take only what you can carry. Leave the unimportant aspects of this wretched world. Come to Brasilia. If you have family wounded, ask that a friend end their suffering. For it is better to die by the hand of a Brazilian than by the corporate cowards that even now invade our shores. Come to Brasilia, if you can make the trip. If you cannot, give aid to those that will try. Put yourself in the path of those who would harm them. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. Vago heard the whine of the engines warming up as he approached the shuttle. Isra must have gotten word about the slight misunderstanding between him and the Cytherian soldiers, and they were getting ready to leave. He was just thankful he got to the shuttle before they lifted off. He held his chest, still bare except for the bandages tied across it, and limped toward the spacecraft, hoping that Isra wasn't there or otherwise occupied. She was the type who would take a little thing like sabotaging her entire mission personally, and he didn't feel up to one of her tirades again. He tried the switch to open the cargo bay door, only to find it locked. Clearly there were people inside. The captain wouldn't leave the engines on if there wasn't. The ship was large but not terribly soundproof, and he remembered how the walls seemed to carry every cough, snore, and curse to every corner of the shuttle. So he started beating and kicking the metal door with all the strength he had left in him. It was a racket that should be painfully audible to everyone on board. Captain Colton's voice came through the loudspeaker mounted to the exterior of the ship. Who is it? Vago. Vago? Vago Spade? We thought you might be dead, friend. Is it really you out there? How are you feeling? I feel like I've been beaten with buzzer guts and drugged through hell backward. Let me in! The engines powered down and Vago slumped against the side of the door, still clutching his chest. The cargo bay door eventually slid up, and Vago looked at the captain standing just inside. I see my weapons made it back to the ship all right, then, said Vago sourly. No offense meant, friend, said Captain Colton, holding Vago's own gun on him. Things have gotten complicated here. I don't want to take the chances. Vago, hearing someone running on the catwalks above, glanced up and saw Althea coming down the metal stairway. She took one look at him and ran the rest of the way down. Jesus, Vago, what happened? Wardrobe malfunction. Mind if I... A wave of dizziness rushed through him and he lost his balance. He must have blacked out for a moment, as the next thing he knew, Althea and Captain Colton were helping him lie down on the floor of the cargo hold. Go upstairs and fetch my medical bag, said Althea urgently. 
Colton got up and ran to the spiral staircase that led to the upper decks. Althea touched the dirty, blood-stained rags that covered his chest. Vega winced, and Althea pulled her hand away. Who did this? I had some trouble with the medical regulator during a fight with the Cytherians. It stopped working, then exploded. The Cytherians, said Althea with disbelief. How did you even survive? Vago groaned. Well, the medical regulator helped. It put out a shock that charged a few of their batteries. The rest didn't take to the explosion none. Was the bandage your doing? Althea looked down at the white linen wrapped around his torso. Uh, that would be the Casario. They ain't terrible folk once you get to know them. Colton returned with Althea's black medical bag. She reached inside and pulled out a needle and syringe. I'm going to put you out. You'll not want to be awake for this. As she screwed the needle onto the top of the syringe, Vago gently grabbed her by the wrist and shook his head. Just patch me up enough to go back out there. Althea almost dropped the needle in disbelief, and it was several seconds before she could even speak. Are you... mental? Go back out. You can barely... Vago sighed and let his head fall back. Just do it. Althea shook her head and retrieved a pair of scissors from the bag. She cut up along the cloth and started to carefully peel it back. Vago groaned and clenched his teeth. He wished he had something to bite down on, for now all he could do was endure the white-hot flashes of pain. Althea examined the wound. Well, the good news is I think it looks worse than it is. You've got some shrapnel embedded in your chest, along with some electric burns, but it's not as bad as they could be. Explain to me how this happened again? Vago took several deep breaths as the searing pain subsided. Just keep working. I'll explain the whole thing. While Althea pulled shrapnel from his chest, between winces and groans, he told her how he convinced Gabriel and the Cytherians to chase down the Cosario. As Althea applied a dermal replacement to her incisions, he talked about surrounding the raiders, including women and children, then described how he turned on the Cytherians and woke up in a village beyond the wall, as Althea covered the entire wound with an antibiotic salve and more dermal replacement. So the plan is this, said Vago, sitting up while Althea wrapped a clean bandage around his chest. We let history repeat itself, only we give it a little nudge. The Casario got folk inside the city that want to help them. We're going to coordinate an assault that even the Cytherian army won't know how to deal with. How do you expect to do that? Unless I've missed something, the communication technology on this planet is non-existent. You'll discover a method of communicating from one end of Cytheria to the other? Althea put on the last layer of bandages. Vago looked at Captain Colton, who brought him a standard ministry green shirt to wear. You got radios on this ship, right? A whole mess of portable receivers we can spread around? Well, sure, friend, said Colton. We got at least 30, if not more, but Cytheria is built on a hill. You will need line of sight. Otherwise, your signal's going to cut out, and your forces on one side of the city will be in the dark. I thought about that, said Vago. Kronos is still up at that ship on the mountain, right? It's got radio systems. Could he use one of those to make sure everyone can hear me? Jesus, I forgot about Kronos, Althea said, securing the last bandage. I assumed he's still at Joanna, but if things are as really as bad as you say, we should warn him and tell him to make his way back to the ship. Vago stood up. Nah, if he's still up there, leave him. He can do some good. And it's probably the safest. His voice trailed off. Through the open cargo bay door, a robed figure emerged from the mist, walking toward the ship. Vago asked for one of his guns from Colton and waited just outside the door until the Occulto approached. Whoever it was kept their head down but clutched a scroll of paper in their hand. I have been instructed to bring this to you. The man held out the scroll. Vago took it and unrolled a rough map of Cytheria with seven red X's on several farms and orchards around the outskirts of the city. 
You were sent from the friend of the Corsario inside Cytheria? Fago asked as he looked it over. My masters are sympathetic to their plight, yes. And they question the rule of uh, Reina Isabel. I have been instructed to inform you that there are only two patrols scheduled before the long darkness. Vago glanced up at the sun, moving slowly across the horizon to the east. That doesn't give us much time, but we will be ready. Althea and Colton looked at the map over Vago's shoulder. Are you quite sure you can trust anyone from Cytheria right now? Althea whispered in his ear. Gasario claimed they got folk on the inside, Vega responded, rolling up the scroll. They've been helping them raid and keep their people fed up to this point. Don't know why they'd pick this moment to turncoat, especially if they got a bad feeling brewed about Isabel. One more thing I am to tell you. The occulto pulled the hood of his robe off his head, and both Colton and Althea gasped in surprise when they saw his face. His left eye was fused shut with a burn scar that went from his cheek to his forehead. The other woman from Earth, Isra, she is being held by the Arenha. She suffered the loss of her eye as I have. Althea searched Vago's face. I heard Isra in there somewhere. What did he say? What is happening? Vago regarded the occulto, avoiding Althea's eyes, and debated whether or not to translate directly. He chose to keep it vague for now. There was nothing Althea or anyone else could do for Isra until they got the Corsario inside the city. Isra's in trouble, said Vago flatly. Use the radio to see to Kronos, and find out if he can help. As Althea and Colton left, Vago replied to the occulto, Tell your master thank you. We will be ready before the sun sets. The man pulled his hood back over his head, bowed, and turned to walk back to the city. Isra tossed and turned somewhere between sleep and full consciousness. The only thing she was acutely aware of was a sense of burning. It felt like the whole side of her face was on fire, and nothing could cool the flames. She moaned and turned, which caused something to rub against the wound that stoked the heat. After what felt like several agonizing hours, Easter's eyes shot open. The side of her face still burned, and the skin around where her left eye should be felt tight and sticky. Laying on some hard mattress and trembling in fear, she reached up to touch that space. There was a cloth bandage wrapped around her head. The spot she felt was still wet with blood. She heard Isabel's voice nearby speaking English. You are awake. Stand up. Isra curled into a ball and started to softly cry. Any thoughts of her mission were gone now. Any hope of trying to escape was a memory. At that moment, the only thing she wanted was not to feel any more pain, or, if that wasn't an option, she wanted to die. Stand up, commanded the Arenha with more force. Isra collected herself and stretched out on the bed. She realized she was in the Arenha's private room. Isabel herself stood by the hearth with a large fire burning in it. She watched Isra with her arms folded, waiting impatiently. Her face felt swollen where the Arenha had beaten her, and it burned like someone was still holding the red-hot iron against it, but the rest of her body appeared to be fine. She rolled onto her side and sat up then felt dizzy and sick because of the pain, but she managed to slide to the edge of the bed and get to her feet. Come with me, said the Arenha plainly, crossing her room to a small balcony that overlooked the city. Isra followed, 
taking each step with extreme caution, till she finally got to the other side of the room. Once out on the balcony, she grabbed the rail and stood there, keeping her face neutral so as not to give the arenha any more than she already had, but what she saw almost made her lose her balance. The streets outside the Sala Gran were packed with soldiers. The day-to-day operations within the city had ceased. What Isra witnessed was a full mobilization of Cytheria's military might. Your people have formed an alliance with the Casario, said Isabel, her voice as neutral as Isra's face. Even now, they work with factions within the city against me. Plotters in my own court work to see my downfall. My own soldiers betray me and send information to enemies behind the wall. Isra clenched her teeth. Vago is cunning. He is a warrior unlike even you have ever seen. He is not mindless. He has found a way. Kill me if you must, but Cytheria will not be yours much longer. Isabel laughed. It was a kind of full-belly cackle that echoed off the nearby buildings. It wasn't a laugh that came from humor, but the kind of mean-spirited sound right before someone grins and says, Checkmate. You are as blind as the eye I have taken from you. There are no plotters. My soldiers would die a thousand deaths rather than betray me. Isabel continued to look out over her city. I control all of this. The Casario believe they get information from the city, but it is I that give them that information. I tell them of farms run by the lazy and weak. They burn the rotting parts of the city so that the rest may survive. A knock on the door interrupted Isabel's gloating. She called for the person to enter, and, a few moments later, a soldier walked onto the balcony. Isabel spun around and spoke in Cytherian. Cameron, have you done as I asked? The soldier regarded Isra for a moment, and then saluted the Arenha. Casario contacted me through the usual channels. I have provided them with several targets to raid at once. Patrols are already on their way to those locations to intercept them. Isabel nodded her head at the soldier. You have done well. Assemble your squad. Today will be a glorious victory for Cytheria. Isra continued to keep her face blank, but she couldn't stop a tiny grimace as she realized that Vega was leading an entire army into a murderous trap. Isabel noticed the tiny gesture and smiled. So you see now. The soldiers, the occulta who work, the women who tend to the hearth, the children that train for Provocayo, even Casario from beyond the wall. All of Cytheria moves as I wish. There is nothing I do not see and cannot prepare for. Your people will die, and you can do nothing about it. She turned to her soldier again. Take her to the dungeon. Let her live in despair while her people die. Isra was unresisting as the soldier grabbed her by the arm and tugged her toward the chamber door. As she was pulled along, she thought about Vago and a Casario army. She remembered Isabel's story in the garden, stopped, and shook free from the soldier's grasp. Maximiliano, the famed warrior and founder of your house, Arenha, he led an army of Casario up the main road directly to the Salagran, correct? Isabel gave Isra a sly smile. Correct. An amazing act that can never and would never be duplicated. Before she could say anything else, the soldier grabbed Isra's arm again and pulled her out of the room.
You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.